are back. Welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, a podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Chilly Melbourne, Australia. I tell you what, it's wintertime here. We're feeling the cold. The ground is wet. The wind is up. Not a lot of opportunities to go flying. But as I record this, there's a big event happening up in Queensland. The Festival of Aero Modelling is happening. Uh, I think actually by the time this podcast goes live, it may be all done and dusted. But as I record this, it is in full swing and the weather's looking good. Plenty of pilots. So it's it's going to become Australia's Joe Nile. That's what uh, we think it's going to be. Uh, and it's heading that way. So uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the event because I think this is going to be post the event. So I hope everybody had a good time. Uh, good episode coming up. We've got uh, a guy by the name of Neil Tank. Uh, Neil Tank's a sort of a known person in Australia because he was president of our peak uh, aeromodelling association, the MAAA. Um, so we're going to have a catch up with him. Uh, he's no longer involved, but he's definitely still an aeromodeler out there enjoying the hobby. So we'll catch up with Neil. But before we do, let's have a look at uh, what's been happening around the traps. <laughs> Well, what's been happening around the traps? Uh, as I record this, the Festival of Aero Modelling up in Inglewood, the big, big, big event. It's, it's, it's growing and growing and growing, that event. I think they had over 120, easily over 120, close to 150 people at that event, which makes it one of the biggest events in Australia. Uh, Eight-day event, I think it was, something like that, um, held at Inglewood Airport. That's starting to wrap up as I record this. And... I haven't heard, uh, nobody has said anything bad about that event. Um, and so obviously, you know, with all the effort that went into it by the organisers, they've done a great job that everyone's going to have a have a great time. And so um, well done to everybody involved and well done to all the people that made the effort to head up to Queensland to participate. Looked like some great models flying. We had a few international guests, including Martin Pickering, who, who just sent me a message and said, oh, great event, you should have been here. And I said, well, couldn't get the time off. I was working and stuff like that. Had a lot of other commitments and stuff like that. So uh, fortunately, couldn't make it. But uh, but well done to everybody involved. That was really, really good. Now, if you're into events and you fly jets, I just want to remind you about the Jets Over Monato event, 25th to the 27th of August, 2023. The Adelaide Model Aerosport welcomes you to a free low-key jet fun fly at its Monato field. Now, this field is phenomenal. It's got 130-meter-long sealed runway paved runway operating ceiling to 2000 feet uh camping camping available on site uh m uh pilots only field is located at 3661 old princess highway monato now if you're in the know go out and have a look at the uh the um adelaide model aerosport uh website no doubt but the uh jets over monato event friday saturday and sunday 25th to the 27th of August, uh, and I'm going to start plugging the Shepherd and Mammoth scale flying that's happening in the middle middle of September. So stay tuned for that as well. If you get onto the Valley Radio Flyers website, that's valleyradioflyers.com.au, I think it is. Let me just have a look now. Valley Radio Flyers, got the computer in front of me. Um, valleyradioflyers.com.au, you'll see the entry forms for the Shepherd and Mammoth event. 
It's the only big planes, scale planes of all variety there. Don't bring your sport jets. You'll be asked to leave. You won't be allowed to fly them. But Valley Radio Flyers, um, get onto their website. It's the 40th anniversary, 40th event. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, there, there are entry forms online if you go onto their website, but I'll talk more about it in the coming uh, coming weeks. Um, okay. What's been happening? What's been on my mind? Well, where I live, it's cold. I keep on talking about how cold it is at the moment, but it is winter here in Australia, and uh, we don't get snow on the ground really like you, you know, the people in uh, Europe or North America, but uh, it gets cold and, and it gets wet and it gets windy, and especially if you live in the state of Victoria where I am, down where uh, in Melbourne, uh, often we don't fly a lot in winter due to the weather, especially if you can only fly on weekends if you're working and that kind of stuff. So... Uh, what else do we do? Well, we go and do other things. It's one thing, but uh, maintenance. And I want to talk a bit about maintenance and whether you like doing maintenance or not. I do not like working on model airplanes at this stage of my life. I don't say I hate doing it, but I just don't want to be doing it. You know, I, I really have got so many other things on the go and so many other activities that I enjoy doing that maintaining planes is a nightmare. Now, at the moment, I've got a hundred cc that's got a loose muffler. And to fix that muffler, I've got to pull the cowl off, and there's like 12 bolts I'm going to undo to do that. Pull the cowl off, pull the spinner off, pull the prop off. Well, actually, no, I don't need to pull the prop off. No, I shouldn't have to pull the prop off. Hopefully, I actually don't need to pull the spinner off, come and think of it, because I could just crack the cowl. I just need the bottom bottom cowl to come off because it's just got dump mufflers and I've got to get an Allen key up there and work out how I'm going to do it. I spoke to Martin Pickering on the last episode on how to keep the muffler on um, and he talked about cooling the muffler and I'm trying to work out how I can do that. And then uh, another great guy by the name of Udash, Udash Chetty, who um, is a good uh, listener of the podcast and avid uh, aero modeler, he sent me a message during the week and said, hey, he had the same problem and he's tried the uh, Loctite with the, the, the high temperature Loctite and he said, so far, so good. And I've had success with Loctite in the past. So anyway, I'm going to I'm gonna give that cause a go as well. So I've got nothing to lose. I think I've got some of it somewhere. I have to double check. So that's what's coming up uh, when I've got a spare weekend in winter, doing maintenance, going through your aeroplanes and checking on them. And it's something that you should do. We should all check our models, especially if you're going to go to a, like a public event or a flying event so that your model's safe and you don't have problems. I see a lot of people that go to flying events and they spend half their time fixing their model, not flying. No, you want to go to a flying event to fly. Fix your model back in the shed and make sure everything's okay. Test run everything. Check your servos. Check your check your servo horns. Make sure they're all done up tight. Check your linkages, uh, prop bolts, You know, wheels. You know how many times I've seen wheels fall off planes? Heaps. Uh, you know, just go through the planes now and again and double check uh, that everything's okay. More often than not, things are pretty much okay. But sometimes, you know, I've checked my prop bolts and they've been, you know, nipped them up a little bit. So, yeah, it's not something that I necessarily enjoy doing at this point in time, but I know that's necessary. So wintertime down here in Melbourne, Australia, that means maintenance time. guest time because I know you don't want to listen to me rabbit on because I can rabbit on. Anyway, Neil Tank is our special guest. Neil has been a long-time aero modeler. 
uh, and a long time involved behind the scenes. Um, we'll hear a little about that story, but a long time. And he's probably most well known as being the past president of the uh, Model Flying Association here in Australia called the MAAA. Uh, they're our peak body. And so I met Neil oh, years ago when he was president. We had a few chats and um, he's a really good guy. Uh, you know, he he... It's a very level-headed person. He was a policeman, uh, and I don't know whether it plays into his activity that he did in aeromodelling, but he talks a bit about that. But he he was there for the hobby. Everything that he did was genuinely about the hobby, and so uh, he's a good guy. And I've been trying to have him on for a while. We've been you know, working hard to try to make this happen, but we've made it happen. So here is my chat with the one and only Neil Tank. We're heading back to South Australia this this episode for the Flat Out RC podcast. And joining us is a guy that's pretty well known here in Australia because he was the leader of our uh, local flying association for, for a number of years. Neil Tank, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. We've been trying to make this happen for a while, haven't we? Uh, yes, we have. Uh, we have passed. Uh, uh, haven't been able to cross <laughs> For a long while. Well, the, the good news is that it sounds as if you've been out traveling and enjoying yourself. Well, I have, yes. I've, uh, uh, since uh, leaving the MAAA, I've uh, we've done a bit of traveling, uh, only really around the state because of COVID and all that sort of stuff, but doing, doing other things like fishing and <laughs> all the rest of it. So, yeah, and, and obviously flying model aeroplanes. Of course, of course. Now, speaking of model aeroplanes, I don't know a lot about your backstory in aero modelling. So, this is we're going to go on a journey together with with the listeners as well. Where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Well, I've always been interested in aero modelling, probably from about the age of ten. Um, I was first introduced to it uh, through my father, who wasn't an aero modeller; he was a uh, a wholesaler, a manufacturer's representative who travelled overseas to uh, buy uh, products for stores. Uh, in, in those days, they had uh, the, the industry consisted of wholesalers and retailers. He was a wholesaler and travelled travelled to uh, Japan and those sort of places looking at various items. And... Um, when he came back, he uh, he bought me a a control line model aircraft. Uh, it was it was probably one of the first ARFs because it had everything in it. It had Cox motor. It was was plastic. All the all the um, uh, lines and everything were in the box and everything. So it's basically put the fuel in and fly it. So that's 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 when I first. Uh, Got interested. I had several mates that were also at school that were also uh, interested in it. So we used to go down to the local uh, uh, parklands. In those days, we didn't have CASA and all those other restrictions. So uh, we flew them there. And uh, uh, yeah, that's where it really started. So, what era are we talking here? Give us a bit of an era. Uh, in the 50s. Um, yeah, mid fifties, fifty six, fifty seven, something like that. Long time ago now, Andrew. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Now, uh, it it's always fascinates me about that era, and you know, control line flying seemed to be a bit of, a bit of a thing that, and 
was it the kind of scenario where on a weekend you'd see someone flying a control line plane or was it a bit sort of hidden still? Yeah, prior to that, we used to, there used to be back uh, prior to 56, there used to be a control line group that used to fly uh, at Glenelg uh, on a Sunday and uh, a couple of times we went down there to have a look at them and uh, uh, the clubs weren't there. Well, they weren't clubs in those days. They were just members, you know, uh, people getting together and flying them. But um, they weren't all over the place, but there were places where you could go and have, uh, sit and watch and that sort of thing. Okay, so you get your first control line plane. How did the first few flights go? Uh, pretty dismal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah well, as, as we all know, we, I, I've crashed a few, and uh, um, but eventually mastered the art. Um, well, I, I learned to fly them. I wouldn't say I mastered the art, but uh, uh, yeah, that was uh, uh, quite good. Well, several of the models that he brought me back, I, I remember two of them that he brought back, and and I wish. To this day, that I kept them in the box, they were they were made of aluminium. Oh, really? Uh, the the only piece of wood that was in it was the uh, the, um, oh, the 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 engine mount. Uh, the whole lot. Uh, one one was a Mustang, and one was a Zero. They probably. Uh, Oh, what were they? Two foot wingspan, I suppose. And uh, yeah, they they had an Enya Enya thirty five two stroke in them, and uh, they flew all right. the pro- The problem with them was that, uh, uh, um, as you know, when you if you have a bingle and you bend down your minium, it gets, it's very hard to put it back into the same place where it was before. Yeah. So both of them eventually. Uh, uh, become so bent they wouldn't fly. But, yeah, as I say, I wish I'd kept them because they, they were – I've never seen any since. And uh, um, he never, my father never imported them. I don't, I, and don't ask me why, but uh, uh, they, they would be a collector's item nowadays. But uh, that, that's – when you look back in time, there's a lot of things you probably should have kept, but you didn't. <laughs> that's right. Okay, so – what happened after the first uh, first model? How did you keep on progressing? Uh, we we I, I, I obtained a few motors and uh, uh, and and basically well, myself and my uh, couple of other mates we used to, we we built them ourselves. Um, a lot of them were pretty rough, and in fact, that sometimes we were just flying bits of wood with a real powerful motor on it. But you know, just going around in circles, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we just I just progressed through it. Um, uh, got a few uh, at, at that time at a company by the name of Southern Model, Model Supplies uh, started up. Uh, they were they were a local company, Aeroflight. Uh, they went on to make the Hustler aircraft and uh, quite a few others. But yeah, I obtained I, one of them and uh, um, built it up and flew them and. Not not competition wise, we just blew them in the parklands and uh, uh, yeah, generally had fun. Okay, so when did when did radio control come into your your being? That didn't come in. 
I joined the police department in, in uh, 1964, and that's that's when I sort of went away from the hobby for a while. It was a three year three year uh, in house training, um, much like the army, really. You know, drill and all that sort of stuff. And 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 because of that, I sort of my time was taken up with uh, with that, and I went away from it. And I probably didn't pick it up until I was in my mid-30s. A friend of mine um, uh, knew someone that was selling a, a, a three-channel uh, radio-controlled aircraft. So he said, you know, it's for sale. Do you want to buy it? And I went and had a look at it and bought it. Uh, <clears throat> that, that was a pilot kit. I can't tell you what the name of the model was now. It was only a three-channel model. It had a... Samoir three-channel radio in it, and uh, I think it was about a 25 motor. But, uh, yeah, high wing. So that I, I purchased that and obviously went down to the local club, introduced myself, and uh, that's where I took it up again. I haven't looked back since. Yeah. So that would have been, what, in the, yeah, in the 70s, you said? Yeah, probably. Probably something like that. Um uh, well, I can't remember now. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I was about I was about thirty five or something like that when I when I first when I got back into it. Again. Yeah, so and and that was a unique radio too. It had the, it was a Sanyar three channel radio. It had the uh, throttle on a on a separate slide switch on top of the radio, uh, and so the only two sticks you really had were were elevator and rudder. And uh, obviously, the, the beauty of that was you could set the throttle and then just concentrate on the rudder and the, the elevators. So I learned to fly on that, and so did my son. Uh, the model eventually hit its demise because it was so fuel soaked that it, the engine fell out of it. So <laughs> <laughs> that would happen. Yeah. What, what club did you join? What was the first club you joined? Uh, no longer. It was called No Longer District Radio Modelers at that stage. It's called now called No Longer Model Aerosports, which was only uh, two k's from my place um, in in the Onkapunga Estuary, which is a uh, recreational reserve owned by the government. And uh, yeah, so we started down there. Yeah, okay, and that's that club's still going, nice and strong. Yeah, well, I joined I joined that club and. Uh, it didn't take me long before I was—I was, I wouldn't say I volunteered, but I, I ended up as the secretary of the place, and uh, then went on to become president for over thirty years. So, yeah. so it's been a long, long association. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, okay. You start—you get back into flying. You're flying radio control. And like most aero modelers, things progress, and you start getting into different types of models and what kind of thing. Was there a, a was there a path that you went down as far as category of models that you like? You know, warbirds or aerobatic or or anything like that. Well, I liked had a passion for scale aircraft, so I, I probably drifted that way. Uh, but my general uh, general flying was just sports flying. I I, I just uh, got enjoyment out of flying. Uh, models for fun and um, uh, generally general mateship and that sort of stuff in the club and uh, 
so I didn't really get into serious competition flying or anything like that. I just enjoy flying and uh, doing my own thing and, um, yeah, and the mateship, as I said. What about building? Do you enjoy building planes? Yeah, yeah, I spent a lot of time building. Um, obviously, back in the early days, uh, we had to build everything. So whatever you flew, uh, it was a kit. It wasn't all laser cut like they are nowadays. You had to cut the parts out and, and make them up and, and and fly them, which was a challenge in itself. Um, yeah, obviously you had to do all the covering and the painting and all the rest of it. So, so I got a lot of enjoyment out of that. I found that um, with the job that I was in, it was a relaxing, relaxing hobby to take your mind off other things. So, yeah, that's, uh, and that's what I found from air modelling was that it was a way that when when your model's in the air and you're flying it. Um, you can't really think of too much else. So. Yeah, that's a yeah. really good point. I, you know, I think um, you know, no doubt you had a, a very busy working life as a policeman, and uh, you know, your mind would be going all the time and and being pulled from pillar to post in a kind of way. But yeah, when you're doing something like flying a model airplane, also say you know, um, you're a motorbike rider, and you know what it's like to ride a motorbike. Same kind of thing. Yeah. You know, when people talk about that sense of freedom when you ride a motorbike. And I yeah. got into motorbikes and I realised, oh, yeah, I get it now. And it's that single-minded focus, just me and the road. It's nothing else. There's no other distractions happening. It's just me me and the road. So it's, uh, yeah, definitely a de-stressor in a kind of way. Yeah, well, I do that too. I do have a motorbike and um, a bit of riding. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, any, any bets you were uh, into motorbikes or from a young age? Uh, I was riding a motorbike at the age of 16 as soon as when I got my license. In fact, I got the license on the motorbike. And uh, in those days, uh, uh, the, the license, you didn't have to do it. If you, if you had a license for a motorbike, you could drive a car. So, oh, really? you know, it, uh, so I, I got the, license, the driver's license on the, on the motorbike. So, yeah, I've been riding motorbikes since I was 16. And, um, had various bikes throughout my life. Well, I know that uh, you know you're an aero modeler, which means you've got a very active mind, and a lot of aero modelers are either into cars, boats, motorbikes as well. So I knew there was something else that you weren't sitting idle just going to work before you got back into to model planes. Yeah, no, no, you're right, you're right. But, but I always found you, you've got to have some some hobby outside of work. Um, you work to live, you know, live to work. So. That was my philosophy, and and did other things. So, mm. yeah, I'm with you with that philosophy, and I, no doubt, every one of the listeners is on the same wavelength as well. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about now. You, you got involved in in the administration side of the hobby pretty early. It sounds like is this something that you sort of gravitated towards to sort of participate and try to lead the group down a down a path of greatness. I didn't. I didn't join the club. To do that, it's just there's sort of a thing that I fell into, and I think I think a lot of that had to do with the the occupation I had. Uh, many people see the police officer as a, a leader in communities, and and, and so I, I really just fell into the positions. Um, the secretary's job became vacant; no one wanted it, so I put my hand up, and you know things progressed from there, and. 
same with the presidents. And well, in fact, I was nominated as president. But you know, it, I think it's just that people saw saw you as a leader in the community, and uh, um, those sort of things just happened. And I, and I think if you look through around the a uh, lot of the era modelling clubs, there are there are police officers in it, and uh, they all seem to have a position where they they do have some leadership role. So, so I think I, mean, I think it's just that, that that's what you train for, and that's what you do. So, yeah. Very true. I know a number of uh, policemen that are involved, and uh, and even your successor in, at the MAAA was a policeman as well. So we've gone from you know back to back police. Uh, Ex-policeman, so um, yeah, definitely true. So okay, so you you how long were you president at the Norlunga Club? I reckon it was around thirty years. I'm not going to give you the exact date, but yeah. it was quite a while. I didn't I didn't give that up until I I became president of the MAAA, and well, when that would have been around two thousand and twelve. So you know, uh, from about the mid seventies to to then, so it's quite a while. Very long time. You've uh... And okay, so you've seen a lot happen then over that though that era. Um, how did the numbers at the club go? Was it were, did it were they have they been relatively stable? The member numbers or when I when I joined, I reckon I, I, I we would have had about sixty odd members, I suppose. The club the club uh, the club got to about one hundred and twenty at one stage, and, and then after that the membership started to decline and and that was a trend that was happening throughout era modeling uh and it's no no longer club now it's got to be again i think they sit around 70 odd members so yeah. uh uh yeah we peaked at about 100 110 120 but the average has been around 50 60 70 odd members and then the pathway to the MAAA president. Interested to know how did all that come about? Was did you go straight from president of the Norlunga Club into the MAAA, or did you, you know, were you vice president of the MAAA, or or what? Leo O'Reilly was the uh, I, I, I as the Norlunga president. I went to the Massa meetings, the Model Aerosports South Australia meetings, uh, the State Association, and, and went there for quite. Quite a few years, and uh, Leo Riley at the time—I I don't know whether Michael Riley's father was—was yeah. was the president, um, and he was president of Massa for quite some time, and a very influential person in the in in the era modelling scene, both uh, South Australia and Australia and FAI. But um, Leo. Uh, Became sick. He he had cancer, and uh, again, it was a, uh, the presidency was a a thing I fell into. Leo was a very persuasive um, person, and um, he asked me to uh, chair the meetings at the Massa. While he he was away, he said he 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 didn't tell me he had cancer, but he was. He said he he was sick and he, he wanted me to take over for a short while. Uh, I think that was just the way Leo worked. But, uh, yeah, so I took over for a short while and never left. So Leo, you know, I think he he lined it up and uh, 
Uh, I think he told other people that there's no one else to take over but me. And uh, uh, they, all, as I said, he was a very, very persuasive person, and that, that's what happened. So, uh, again, as I said, I I fell into the job. I didn't go looking for it, but I fell into it. And uh, again, um, remained president for quite some time. And uh, as um, as president of Massa, uh, I was automatically on the council of the MAAA and attended a, a, quite a few years as, as a council member representing uh, South Australia. And um, I think it was around about 2012, um, Mike Close was the president of the MAAA at that stage. He he decided to retire. Um, they called for nominations. Um, I didn't nominate, but I got a number of phone calls asking me to nominate. But I said, uh, basically, uh, because of <clears throat> the job and other commitments, I said I'd take over the position of vice president, but I wouldn't do president at the time. Uh, another member was elected as president. We then um, got in, uh, got into a process of developing a strategic plan. I, I saw the MAAA as being, at that stage, uh, rolling along with the with the, with the times, but there didn't seem to be any real strategic direction they were going in. And uh, I suggested to the president at that stage that we. We run a um, a meeting with all council members and develop a, a strategic plan through SWOT analysis and all the rest of the management tools. And um, we met in Adelaide and we had that uh, strategic planning weekend and developed the plan. And uh, uh, after that meeting, the then president made a number of statements that upset other council members and he, he resigned and um that's how i fell into that job <laughs> so he resigned you get the job so that was... yeah i basically took over as vice president i stood in his place then they had an election and i put my hand up and because it was my idea to, to run the develop the strategic plan i i I felt that I was obligated to continue on with it, so that's and I put my hand up and was elected president. But it sounds like though that when you you were there, you actually were an active member, and that's why you were given these. You know, people chase you down to get involved. So, you know, for example, the strategic planning and all that kind of stuff was. You know, obviously you had a, had a lot of input, and you know, then okay, you become president of MAAA, and how did that all go? What was that experience like? Yeah, it was a pretty. Uh, it, was a, it was a lot more than I expected. It was a pretty full-on job. Um, it, it took a, uh, quite a number of hours a week, uh, handling, you know, managing the, the the association. And at that stage, we had a elected secretary, Kevin Dodd, um, and he he was great assistance because he'd been in the game. Uh, a lot longer than I had and, and been in the MAAA 
management side of it uh, longer than I had. So he he, he 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 gave me a lot of assistance, but I found it a very time-consuming but an enjoyable time-consuming job because I wanted to. When I when I took over, there was a lot of um, uh, disruption in the era modelling area. AMS had just started. There'd been a break away from the MAAA and AMS was formed and there was a lot of a lot of problems with between MAAA and AMS. And, and uh, at, that to- at that time, both Kevin and I thought that AMS uh, would be was good for the hobby. But things developed <coughs> to the stage where <coughs> issues were arising and causing a lot of problems. So, so it was challenging. And um, uh, what I, what I wanted to, the members had a lot of complaints about the MAAA. It was secretive. Um, they had a lot of money, and no one knew what, where the money was going. The money money wasn't being spent on members, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And my aim was, as a uh, not being an elite modeler, and I, I don't say that in a derogative term, but I, because I didn't get involved in high-powered competitions, and I, I, I felt that I had a better understanding of what the average member wanted out of era modeling. The bloke, the bloke that just goes down to the field, like I said before. To relax on the weekend, what do they want out of era modelling, and and, and uh, how can we promote it at the lower level? And and that was my um, my main objective was to, to open up the MAAA and uh, um, take it back to the members, so to speak. And and through that, we developed a number of programs which. Uh, we sort of opened up the bank balance and we started giving money back to clubs through club assistance schemes and, and things like that. So, Yeah, I think I think um, that strategy is a good one. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm a big supporter of what's happened here in Victoria in the purchase of land to have some state flying fields and things like that. I think that, that secures flying places for us. I mean, when, as we know, it becomes harder and harder as time goes on to find flying fields, but um, mm. but yeah, reinvesting back into the hobby has been been critical. Now, the challenges are always around, uh, and no doubt in all your roles that you've had in aero modeling, there's always been some challenge. You know, some small, some some larger, and I suppose the biggest challenge that I feel that, that the hobby faces is declining participation and um, yeah. aging demographic and and things like that. Where do you sit on that front? You know, what do you see as uh, some of the major challenges that we're, we're faced with as a as a hobby? Yeah, I think I think uh, um, I think you hit it in one. I think the biggest problem we do have nowadays is is the age of membership. Well, the, the when I when I started flying model aircraft, as I said, when I was around ten, there wasn't much apart from sport. There wasn't much else to do. You know, we didn't have Computers. We didn't have Playboys and all the rest of the other the, the, what are they, what do they call them games, yeah, uh, consoles, yeah, and like that, yeah, and all that sort of stuff. So, so you went out looking to somewhere to, to entertain yourself, and um, 
the the main thing around was either sport or model aircraft or, or models of some sort, you know. And um, nowadays, I, I I find that the 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 young people have got a lot more to a lot more to select from, and and so I think because of that, um, aero modelling suffering. Um, the biggest challenge is how do we get, uh, and, and and I haven't got the answer at the moment. But how, how do we get the younger people involved? Um, it, it, it's take no longer for I think at no longer at the moment we we've, we've probably got four juniors, uh, but but when I first joined the club, you know they were all juniors. Yeah, you know, most you know fifty fifty. Nowadays, you know you got. <laughs> 60 odd old codgers on me, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, four of my kids running around the place. But, but from, from from my point of view, from era modeling for a, for a, for a young, uh, for, for the youngsters, is it's, it's, it's such a wide ranging um, hobby. You know, you can learn so much from it. And, and it's a hobby that involves, as I said, old people and young people. And I remember my son, he joined, he was about 10, I reckon, when he started learning to fly. We we had a person down the club called Alex Wilson, and, and, and Alex was in his 80s, and well into his 80s. And he sat down one day and he started talking to my son, and, and they, they were talking like that. that age was no difference. You know, they were talking aero modelling and they were talking aeroplanes and, and and that sort of thing. And, and and I find that now with the young lads in the club, they, they, they'll come down and sit down and talk to anybody down there. It doesn't matter how old the person is or not because they've got one thing in common. And I find that that's that's a, that's one of the best things I've seen in aero modelling. And uh, that's, just, that's the sort of thing we've got to try and promote. But... How we do it, you know, is another thing. Well, I think that the the, the problem that our hobby faces is, and it's not just in Australia; it's around the world. is is the same problem that's happening across other traditional sort of pastimes, whether it's playing cricket or football or soccer or or golf or things like that. Is that the internet changed the world? And I've got young kids, and I'm observing their their. Uh, um, environment that they're growing up in versus say what you and I had without computers and and we were forced to have to do something and and go outside and and you know I used to read magazines that's how I'd get information and I, I stumbled across Airborne magazine and I can't actually pinpoint and remember the exact point in time where I you know started you know taking an interest in, in radio control flying and things like that but I know it came from a magazine. I may have been seeing it at a news agent or something like that and saying to my mum, can I can I get that? And uh and so I, I read magazines a lot even before I went flying. You know, I didn't have a model plane until I was a bit older. But uh it's it it's just a different era and it's there is such a a wave behind it that's very, very hard to swim against. And you know, as much as we and I hundred percent agree with you that we we know the benefits of it. But we can't get them to actually turn up to experience it, and mm. that's why I've always been a big supporter of um, uh, public flying events and things like that. Because 
families go out, drag the kids along and they see it and it might stick because now they saw it. But I believe that it's it's too hard and the data that we have, like you you mentioned the, the, the young members, four members out of say 60 or 70 total members is, you know, our death rates, you know, higher than our birth rate. And so, and we can see that through the, the numbers at the MAAA level, the num- you know, the demographics of it. But there's a lot of people that are in their mid-40s, into their 50s, kids are growing up, they've got a bit more spare time, they've got some income they can spend on model aeroplanes. I mm. always think that's probably going to be an easier target to, in the short term is to boost those numbers up. Um, and uh, But maybe we just have to be satisfied that uh, um, the numbers are going to decline. What can we do about it? It's really, really hard and involves, you know, everybody's talked about it, nobody's done anything about it. There's been a lot of symposiums and what do we do and blah, blah, blah. But unless you're going to go and advertise the hobby, unless you're going to go and put money behind it to go and do stuff, we're not, we're just talking to each other still. So that's, I've talked, you know, I've, I've talked to the MAAA a fair bit about that kind of side of, side of things, but. Um, and me. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I, I've said before that the people you have to target are, are the people in there. Uh, Late thirties, early forties that have got young kids. The dad gets involved. The kids might get involved, and you know, uh, promote it that way by targeting ten-year-olds and that they're going to lose interest real quick. Uh, we 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 have we have come and try those down at longer twice a year, and and I think last time we put well fifty or sixty people through the line, and out of that we got. We've probably got four members, and uh, and you know we've got a couple of juniors out of it. But you put a lot through, but you you can only just keep trying. I think you know you can't. Um, uh, you, you, you the the clubs are going to put themselves out there, they, and, and that's another thing I found uh, frustrating with with the MAAA that no matter what we did, there were some clubs that just. Was so insular that you know, you take the advent of drones. Uh, there were there are many in the clubs that you'd hear say, We don't want drones down here, though. You know, uh, they, they're not air, they're, they're not aeroplanes, they're not aeromodelers, they're drone flies. But you know, history's proven that a lot of people that come down to fly drones have, have changed over to model aircraft. Uh, so, but I, you know, as I said, one of the things I found that there, there were a number of clubs that were just closed. They, they didn't want to recruit new people. They didn't want, and and that that was one of the frustrating parts about the whole the whole thing. I've I've witnessed that firsthand. Of you know, I spoke to I was a club that I was a, uh, I was a member of, and the president said to me, you know, look, he said I don't agree with this sentiment, but most of the members here don't care whether more people come because what we've worked out is that when the last person dies, we're probably not going to be flying anyway. We're all going to be gone anyway because it's quite an old demographic. But um, and you know, there are there are groups that are, that are like that. And but I look, it's interesting. I'm involved in other other sports and other hobbies, and the one that I'm really really impressed with is the table tennis uh, association. I'm playing a lot of table tennis and they are constantly promoting the sport and they run programs 
to promote the sport and to help clubs promote the sport and um, diff- they put initiatives in place. The difference is their structure is very, very different with the MAAA. Neil, I can't stand the structure of the MAAA. You don't need to agree with me or whatever or comment on it if you don't want to, but the MAAA structure is archaic, cumbersome, and too slow to be able to achieve anything as far as I'm concerned. There's too many chapters. There's too many people that have a say. There's too much going on. What the other associations, you know, other groups that we compete against for attention, such as table tennis, they're employing, they have a simplified structure, so just, one sort of organisation, have full-time staff that are paid to fulfil a function. And part of that function is um, promotion of, of the, the sport or the hobby to try to get new blood in. We can't do that in the AAA ecosystem because there's too many people and too, too much bureaucracy in place to actually get anything done. And so when I look at the AAA, and there's some really good people there, you know them as well as I do, great people. MAAA is, from an outbound perspective, in the past one or two years, um, I can't see anything that they've done that's any different to what happened five or six years ago or any promotion of anything. If anything, things have gone backwards. There's a lot of talk about promoting the hobby and putting some initiatives in place, but it's just, I don't know. It's just not happening. I won't make any comment about what's happened since I left. I'll stay in on that, but... uh, uh, no, I, I agree with you. One of the one of my uh, aims of the when I was president was to 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 try and simplify the structure of it. I mean, the the idea of to me the idea of uh, thirty odd people going to a conference um, interstate uh, once a year uh, was was just too cumbersome. You couldn't it couldn't work, and, and, and what you felt. What I found out was that even though you had 30 people there, there was only, you know, half a dozen that were really contributing or doing much. Uh, and, and my aim was to cut that right down to, and I think the current president's got the same idea, that you know, cut it right down to, so, so you've got a board of directors basically of six people, the six states, and 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 you're not worrying, you're not so much trying to bash your head against the wall with 30 people, you know. When you, when you run a, a board of six people, it's a lot easier. Um, but I agree with it. it. It is okay. It is a structure, but but it's a structure that's set up so that each state has an equal say in what, what's happening. The problem is egos gets in the way and it gets in the way of well, probably other organisations too. Well, I, yeah, it, it does. I think, well... When you look at the 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 decline in numbers, the MAAA in the next twenty years, ten, well, let's call it ten years. In the next ten years, they're going to be forced to do something different because when you go from say nine and a half thousand members to five and a half thousand members, and your revenue model changes, and now you got to you know streamline things, which they've started to do, which is really good. We've seen the change in the membership system, trying to become more automated, but. I don't understand why we need state chapters in the way that we've got state chapters. I think there's a duplication of roles. There's money that's being wasted in in states. You could centralise administration. Uh, The problem is that the states need to vote themselves out of existence. You can still have state representation. Formula Ford Car Racing Association has done it. Table Tennis Australia has done it. All these other associations have done it where you can still have representative. In America, the AMA, the way the AMA operates, same kind of thing. It's just that 
the 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 voting rights are held in the states, aren't they? So the the, the presidents of the state chapters have the ability to choose what happens and that means they have to vote themselves out of existence and i don't think people want to do that well yeah and, and that's an issue and, and that's that's that that was another part of the long-term plan was to you know i, I agree with you, duplications of services some some states do it better than others but uh really you know just just an elected member from each state or, or you know, one or two members from each state to represent the state on the board. That you, you don't really need the state associations it, it, as long as there's equal representation. Yeah. Well, the way some other um, some other associations do it is they write in their constitution like a, a ratio of representatives from the state based on the membership numbers in that state. So, say you've got you know, 2,000 uh, members in your state, well, you'll get two representatives. Uh, but it's mm. you, you streamline everything like in that, like you said, with the board. But then I think the other side of the equation is like what Table Tennis Australia has done is have full-time staff that are employed to actually administer the association and they've given job roles and KPIs to meet, you know, in relation to all mm. sorts of things from running programs to... Uh, membership support, you know, dealing with CASA, etc. Yeah. And we do, yeah. there are some paid roles, but, um, you know, and you've had first-hand experience of what that secretary's role is like, you know, having managed a few of them over the years, but it's a, it's a tough job. <laughs> it's a really, really tough job to, yeah. to do. Yeah, I mean, one one of the issues with the MAAA is the paid staff issue, and again, it gets back to members. You know, we we paid we paid the secretary a hundred odd thousand dollars a year to, or I think it got to a hundred hundred thousand dollars a year to run the association uh, as a full time secretary, but. You know the, the the amount of flack you get from members about what are you what are you wasting the money on for and all this sort of stuff. It, oh, yeah. it makes it hard. It makes it hard. And uh, um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of improvements that could be made, but uh, um, whether it happens or not is another thing. But I think I think unless the association addresses the declining membership. <laughs> It'll all be very subjective at the end of the day. Well, I, as my parting words, I was at the uh, NAAA conference a couple of years ago and my parting words after I did a little presentation around um, the survey that I helped help them with and um, my parting words were, ladies and gentlemen, whether we like it or not, we're going to be forced to change as a result of the declining mm. Uh, mm. participation. Declining participation leads to a financial challenge because now we've got less revenue coming in as an association, which limits our ability to invest in activity that might turn the tide. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know whether people appreciate that comment or not, but I think that's the most logical thing that happens. I don't think it's rocket science to be able to, to you know, not Nostradamus. Mm. But mm. the I think one of the things with the MAAA, my view, is that there's a lot of work that they do do. And you know that there's a lot of work that happens. The members don't have visibility to it. There's no communication lines that sort of state what they're doing and there's no clear campaigns that we know what's going on. And as I always say that, you know, as an aero modeler, I was forced to join the MAAA. If I wanted to go and fly at that flying club, I had to be an MAAA member. 
Um, and yes, they provide us with all the insurance, which is really, really good. The good thing about the MAAA is the structure that they do have really supports our activity really, really well and keeps it safe. And we saw this year insurance costs went up like $100,000. So that's happening across the board with insurances, really. It's not just us. But that is becoming more of a more of an issue. There's more issues as a result of the airspace and the management of the airspace and, you know, monitoring who's in the airspace and all this kind of stuff. There's all these challenges that are going to happen. So we're lucky that we've got the MAAA. Could they do it differently? Yes. Uh, have they tried to do anything differently? I'm not sure. I'm not privy to, to things. They have, uh, you know, I know things such as the membership system is a really, really good step in the right direction. It's going to help a lot of people. But mm. uh, but anyway, we'll leave it up to the powers that be to decide on what needs to happen. We've, set, we've had our say, but uh, people always say to me, why don't you just become MAAA president? I said, yeah, it's not an inviting <laughs> role. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard, hard uh, um, role. It, it, it's, <clears throat> it's hard and, uh, yeah, it takes a lot of time. But, you know, that, that, that was another challenge we faced. The ISCASA and the changing rules, the changing rules of airspace, uh, drone lights and licensing for model aircraft, all the rest of it, they're, they're all challenges that uh, will get worse, I think, Um and somehow or other, the MAAA's got to um, got to address these things. I will say that if if the MAAA hadn't made the representations to uh, to to the Senate inquiry that took place uh, that we did make, I don't know whether we'd been as well well off as we are now. I mean, we we were able to negotiate some. Very good outcomes for MAAA members uh, in respect to the licensing and registration of aircraft and all the rest of it. So, uh, but you know, then those challenges are, are going to continue. Mm, true. I think the MAAA does an excellent job on that front. That um, they are very, very good at managing the ecosystem and advocating for the hobby in Australia. Like they, you know, full marks to the team that you know behind the scenes to get all the work done because. Um, you know, I did have a chat with uh, after that when I was at that conference. I had a chat with the the guy from Casa, and and what uh, every time I've I've spoken to Casa and anybody that's involved with you know our our hobby and stuff, Mark Lewis, yeah, 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 they're all very supportive, very very supportive, like really really supportive and want to help us out. And I think that structure that the MAAA has through all the rules and regulations, all that kind of stuff is something that, that helps them advocate for us as well at a CASA level. So the MAAA does an excellent job in that regard in, in doing it. And, you know, and okay, that's why we have associations, especially, you know, like a flying association yeah. can advocate yeah. for us. So, you know, hats off to all the team that do all that work behind the scenes, because uh, when you think about it, we really are not that limited as far as our ability to go and fly, are we? We can still go to the local flying club, which personally I still think is the best place to go and fly is, is the flying club with the facilities and the runways and maintenance of the runways, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but mm. I can't think that there's anything that's stopping me from enjoying the hobby. No, no, it's not. I mean, if, I, if, if it wasn't for the rules and regulations, and we, we – Kevin Dodd appeared between before the the Senate committee uh, when they were doing the inquiries in relation to their investigation in relation to drones, etc. And they, they they were amazed with the with the policies and procedures that we had in place, and that, and that was one thing that got us over the line. But um, 
well, help get us over the line. But uh, <coughs> no, I, I, I still think that, you know, a, a club is a place to go to fly. You obviously, you get pretty bored flying out in the paddock by yourself. <laughs> Do you know, it's an interesting comment because I know a few people have got their own strips, you know, they're, they're farmers and they, they can fly at their own property and they say yeah. exactly that. They say that it's just a bit boring when you're by yourself. But you know what the funny thing is? On the flip side, everybody that doesn't have that opportunity to have their own strip, we all crave to, like, you know, I missed yeah. out on winning the lotto again last week. I didn't win the $100 million at the lotto. But <laughs> I already I already had said to my wife, we're moving to the country and I'm going to have a runway so I can fly my model aeroplanes, right? So so it's always the dream, but the reality I think is, yeah, it's more enjoyable to go to the club and have other people around you to have a chit-chat because, you know, I always say we spend a, a little time flying and a lot of a lot of the time having a chat, so... No one to talk yeah, to. Yeah, well, I, I was out today doing exactly the same thing. I went down there with this NAAA state field, as a matter of fact, at South Coast, and uh, about well, probably 10 people there. And I flew, had three flights, and the rest of the day was spent just talking and chatting. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, that's all part of it, I think. 100%. You know, there's people will say, oh, the old folks turned up to and just they didn't even fly. It's like, yeah, so what? Like, what do you think you're going to do? You know, like, you go there. It's a social thing. It's a, it's a social club. You know, we happen to do some flying. So, you know, what does your your world look like now post M Triple A? You know, as far as um the hobby, Are you getting out flying more. Yeah, I do. I find that uh, I do get out more. Um, a, a lot of the time when I was. President M Triple A and that I, I spent a lot of time travelling and going to different clubs and that. And when, when you got home, you sort of just stayed away from it because you needed a rest. Mm. <laughs> but uh, uh, I find that I do get out more. I still I still try and visit clubs and that, and with club events and fun flies and that sort of stuff. And uh, uh, but but I I do spend a lot more time. I, I'm flying more now than I, I was when I was in AAA president. Are you building any models? Uh, yeah, ARF obviously now. Uh, most of them. It's, it's cheaper to build an ARF than it is to buy covering and all the yeah. rest of it. But uh, yeah, I'm building models. I, I've uh, uh, got one on the board at the moment. It's just that just to be. Uh, um, Oh, what are they called? Ugly stick type thing. Uh, so just still dabble in the shed and spend a lot of time in there just building and fixing and all the rest of it. And, of course, your son-in-law's heavily involved, Brett. Yeah, well, that, that was – we'd talk about membership. <laughs> and we talk about a dwindling membership. Well, uh Gary Oakley, who was the uh, treasurer of Massa for many years and treasurer of the club, uh, Brett is his son, and Brett's uh, married my daughter. So well, our philosophy is: if we can't recruit members, we breed them. So. <laughs> and yeah, well, Brett loves his flying. He sends me messages. Uh, yeah, and he. he He's ten year uh, ten year old grandson. Uh, well, well, he's about eight, I think. He, he's he's learning to fly and not doing bad for his age. Yeah. So that's pretty fun. 
So, but my 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 Brett's wife also flew. My daughter, she she learned to fly when she was around thirteen. Got a bronze wing. Obviously, boys come along and all the rest of it. And, Distractions. Yep. Yeah. So, so we we're there and her flying and Brett flying. Uh, their kids uh, were sort of born with transmitters in their hands. So, yeah, that's what happens. Well, look, you've achieved a lot in the hobby, really, and and that long term commitment to the the admin side. You know, I've been involved with with clubs before, being on committees, and it's a tough, tough job. So you must be a very resilient kind of person, and um, can just keep on powering along. Because no doubt you've come across many personalities that you've had to work alongside that may not, you may rub you off the wrong way. But uh, gee, you must be a strong person. No, I think it's, I think that. You know, you, you learn to roll with the punches, and I think the job that I had uh, in the in the police department made you know makes you like that. You you sort of you got to roll with the punches and take the good with the bad and um, move on. You can't you can't dwell on anything, and uh, I think that that helps. But uh, I, I found it, I, I found the the position of president M Triple A very very rewarding. Uh, as I said, I've, I visited many clubs all around Australia, and, and everyone I met, you know, I never, I never, never met anyone that you know, didn't 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 welcome me there, and we had we had a great time. So you know, all all clubs and all club members are the same because because you got something in common. Yeah, you got Aaron Modlin, and, and even. Uh, you know, I've been went to uh, Switzerland for the FAI conferences, and and even over there, you know, just you got one thing in common. So, uh, as I say, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, there were it did have its challenges, uh, and there were issues, but overall, you got to take the good with the bad. And uh, and, and I always say to people when. When they are having issues in era modelling, I always say go go back to why you joined these clubs. Why did you join? Why what did you join era modelling? What 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 was your purpose? And most of them say to have fun and fly model aeroplanes. And I said, well, go and do it, and don't worry about the politics. You know, and politics can kill a club, and people have got to get get back to. The reason why they're down there in the first place, you know, wh- why did you come down to this club? Why did you want to join? And it wasn't to get involved in the politics and cause issues. It was to have fun. And that was a philosophy that I used to tell all the clubs, you know, don't forget why you're here. There was a, there used to be a, a, a guy passed away who used to run the Ararat Club down here in Victoria. Um Names escaped me. I should know him because he was a great man. Died a bit too young. But I rang him up one day to – I was trying to find a field to run a, an aerobatic fun fly event. Yeah. And I was having a lot of trouble because, you know, literally some clubs said to me, oh, no, we don't want your type here at this field. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Some of the best pilots in Australia, really common pilots you don't want to have, but that's all right. Uh, and I ended up uh, out at the Ararat Club and um, and the president said to me, I said, oh, look, I'm looking for a field to, you know, just run a weekend fun fly event. It's just aerobatics, not a competition or anything like that. It's just you know a bunch of people just enjoying flying aerobatics, freestyle aerobatics, and that kind of thing. And he said to me, Andrew, uh, he said, 
of course you can come. He said it's about having a having a having a fly, having a chop, and having a chat. And he said that's all it's about. And I went, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and and because he welcomed us, like and the whole club did. It was like we had a lot of respect for the club for allowing us to to use their field and. And we all went out of our way to try to give back to them. So we raised a lot of money for them. I made sure everybody paid to fly there and raffle prizes that we could donate to the you know to the money to the club and all that kind of stuff. And he was exactly right. And you know, anytime there's politics, it's always rubbish politics, isn't it? It's always some frivolous, and it's generally a personality clash of you know egos or whatever it is. It's just about it's all nothing. ego. <laughs> yeah, because you, you always say a flying club's pretty easy. We've got we, we've got very low requirements, haven't we, for a flying club? We need a runway, and yeah. that's pretty much it. That's pretty much yeah. it. Everything else is a bonus. If you've got undercover pit area, a clubhouse, charging facilities, it's all just a bonus. But if you've got a place where you can drive up, pull your plane out, and take off and land. That's all we really, really, really need, you know. So you can argue the toss about the material that is used on the safety barrier and make that a massive issue for the club and then we can have arguments and fights, which has happened at my local club. I was thinking, God, gee, slow down, people. It's not worth it. Yeah, I know. know. And there we've had issues like that at our club too, you know. You put up a fence and... Safety fence for the public, and they say it's going to interfere with our flying, and they get all carried away over nothing. And, and, and once it's up there, they think it's been there for years. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly right. They, they, people just some people just like to make just like to make waves. But you, as I said before, you got to roll with the punches and just get on with the life. And sometimes you're going to make decisions that people don't like, but if it's for the good of the hobby, and, and you talk about recruiting and, and personalities in the club. It's probably like everything. The first person, the greeting that you get from the first person you meet, a newcomer meets when he comes to the club, is the impression they get of the club. Now, you talk about the Ararat Club. You know, the president welcomed you there. Uh, and that's the impression you got, and, and and it started off on a good foot, foot, and it stayed there. Uh, but if, if someone newcomer comes down to the club and uh, uh, meets the grumpy old bastard that sits in the corner, and, you know, says, uh, "We don't like you people here," uh, they won't come back. You know, end of the day. I mean, I can I can relate to a a situation at one of the clubs in Adelaide where a a person drove a uh, uh, prospective member uh, drove a semi-trailer, uh, uh, fuel tanker, and he parked it outside the club and he, they were flying there and he walked in and, and he started chatting to somebody there and uh, the person said, do you, own, do, do, do you drive that truck out there? He said, yeah, 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 I drove that. And he said, well, we don't have people like you here. Yeah, never went back there. He he, he came down to Nolunga, as a matter of fact, and joined Nolunga. Uh, and just, but but the first impression that he got of that cl- first club was, I don't want to be here. Uh, and that can kill more clubs than anything else. Club that hasn't got a good PR man, is uh, he, never going to get on. So that is true. I, I've been a member of a club. When I joined, it had I don't know it had about 110 members, 
and they'd be down to 40, I reckon, now. And that's as a result of the culture they bred into the club and the yep. way they just weren't welcoming of people and they weren't um, accepting of people's choices in the hobby. Like, you know, oh, we don't like people that fly aerobatics. That's competition. No, I never mm. competed in my mm. life. I'm not turning up to any competition events really to compete. But, um, mm. oh, you like flying aerobatics. We don't really condone that. This is a training club. Well, I'm training. I'm just flying aerobatics. I'm doing some loops and rolls. You know, relax, you know. Oh, I don't know. We don't, we don't like that. And so that club, you know, has seriously dropped. And, and some of the members have got this attitude is they don't care if the numbers drop, they'll just pay more for membership. I'm like, really? Well, you're the first ones to complain about fee rises, right? So now you just made everything, you know, you try to turn to a little exclusive club, but the club's not going to exist soon and you won't be able to finance your activity and it's going to cost you a fortune at the same time. But uh, so, yeah, you're 100% right. It's actually interesting. I've just been through an exercise of becoming a ski instructor, not for full-time, just part-time kind of stuff. And they really drum it into you about – first impressions that if someone comes to learn how to ski and they've never done it before you want them to come back that is the whole aim is that you want them to continue and so we have to fake it we have to even if we're having a bad day we have to be the happiest person on the mountain and advocate for the for the mountain the resort the 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 skiing you name it and that's why you'll always see ski instructors always be the happiest people, even if it's raining, which is the worst conditions to be in up on the snow is when it starts to rain. You know, mm-hmm. we have to be happy and smiley because it's our role to encourage those people to continue. And and it's interesting when you see some clubs that are growing, there's some down here in Victoria that are doing really, really well. And it's because they've bred this culture of this is a place where you come to have fun and it's a great place and we love this place and we want you to love it yeah. as well. And they run events and they invite people to come. These country clubs, you know, they invite people to come. And then you know, there's one club down here, the Bensdale Club, which I've talked about a fair bit, which is a state field. Mm-hmm. But that yeah, club ben. is flying. My friends in Melbourne, at least four of them, have become members of that club and they might go there twice a year. Mm-hmm. But they mm-hmm. pay to go mm-hmm. there because they just want to be part of it because it's such a great place to go. And, again, mm-hmm. uh, the secretary's a, a policeman as well. You know, I've got a few policemen actually involved in that club, which is good. So, you know. It's all good. Well, Neil, Neil, we've covered a lot of ground and it's good to to have a chat with you and find out more about your aero modelling but also talk about the behind the scenes that you've had been I, – I don't think there's anybody else that's been as involved as you have for, for such a long period of time. But we've got to that final question, which is a question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to, and that is that question is, what has been your all-time favourite model? Let's go out there. <laughs> 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 I've flown a lot and crashed a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, favourite model. It's a bit hard. I I, I, I did fly. I, I still got it, as a matter of fact. Uh, a katana that I fly, semi-aerobatic thing that I very easy to fly, flies on rails. I like that, but I... Couple of, well, probably four years ago now, I got interested in uh, in gyrocopters. Okay. I, I, I was in England and uh, saw one and read a couple of RCM and E magazines and uh, uh, thought I'm going to learn to fly one of them. And, and so I, when I got back to Australia, I sourced sourced a couple of hobby king gyrocopters and and so basically I. At the moment, that would be one of my favourite things to fly because I find it's such a challenge and uh, uh, not many people do it. I've crashed a few. Uh, 
If you ask Brett, he'd probably say many. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it took me about three years to learn to fly the things. But uh, And I don't say I'm competent yet, but I, I at least put them on the ground and put them back in the air again. So, uh, But, yeah, I haven't really had any model that I've really – I flew the Katana for quite a number of years. I think that was one of the best models that I've had to fly. Um, but, uh, yeah. I do personally like some of the obscure models like the gyrocopters, and I've got a, a um, radio-controlled paramotor, you know, with the, like, yeah. the kite thing, and that's um, that's another good thing to get up in the air. But actually, there's a guy, you know, there's a guy in my club who flies a gyrocopter. And he's there all the time flying. The Hobby King one seems to fly okay. But how do you like? What are the main control? Like, is it, is there a, there's no ailerons or anything? So how do you you steering on a rudder? And have you got an elevator as well? Or how does it work? The, the Hobby King, the Hobby King. Uh, let's let's start. The 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 rotor is a free free wheeling rotor. It's not it's not motor powered. The, the thrust comes from the engine at the front. Uh, and um, they're controlled. The hobby, the hobby king ones have an elevator. Um, all gyrocopters have got a rudder, but the the ones I fly now have got a direct control head. So your aileron and your elevators are on the head of the, oh. the rudder. So 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 to go up, you pull pull the right the rotor tilts back into the air. Yeah, turn it on its side. The rotor. Uh, aileron, you bank the rotor to the to the left or the right or whatever. I mean, I'm I'm simplifying it. Yeah. But, Who makes those? Uh, Is it a kit you buy or what? Um, Hobby King don't sell them anymore. No. Um, uh, generally build them from scratch. I, I have got I have got a, an American kit that I build up, uh, but um, you can't get them anymore. Uh, most of the most of the plans have come out of the RCM and E magazines. Uh, there's quite a few plans out there, um, but no, you build them from scratch basically. Um, build the blades, build build the, the fuselages, depending on what what sort of model it is. But yeah, I tried to convince Mike O'Reilly to import somebody. He just shook his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my, you know what? Mike's a good businessman. <laughs> I've, I've found one actually. I found one. I've, I've just got to the internet now and found one. Um, MIA Microflight. And they're not that expensive in the. No, yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bolt together kind of thing. As I said, I, I like the weird and the wonderful. There's a guy actually who was flying a radio control hang glider. Powder hand glider at the club. I think yeah. the same guy's got the gyrocopter, but um, yeah, they were cool. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, the reason I got into it was I was getting bored with just flying around. I needed a challenge, uh, and that was after, uh, after well, just before I left the M Triple I, I just needed another challenge, and so that looked like a challenge, and it was a challenge. Um, but you know, again, had to start from scratch. Had to build build your own. Had to make sure they're all balanced properly, and because the whole different is a whole different experience flying them. To- totally different. Yeah. That they re- <clears throat> for example, uh, if if uh, if your engine stalls when you're flying fixed wing, you 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 
you immediately push the nose down to keep the speed up. Well, a guy will come there. You do that and you'll crash. Uh, you pull it back, you pull up. So, right. you know, different different techniques. But once 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 you get to know how to do it, it's quite good. And But I, I will say that every time I fly the whole heart, I think it increases about 200 beats a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like when I fly helicopters. I, I you know, I, I love helicopters, RC helicopters, but I don't, I can't relax when I fly. No, I feel it, like you've got to be on it all the time, and um, it's rewarding having good flight. But I still, yeah, get a bit dumb. Well, the helicopter is much like the helicopter because you haven't really got much to look at. You've only, you've only, you've only got the the nose of the thing. The rest is just a boom and a, you know. Uh, and so you, 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 yeah, as you say, you can't relax. You gotta, you gotta, gotta remember what you did last. Well, Neil, it's been good catching up and uh, having a chat about a whole bunch of different things. We're finished on a good note. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, but the problem is now you got me searching up uh, weird and wonderful RC models again, <laughs> gyrocopters and ultralights. I just stumbled across a website and I'm like, oh, gotta have a look at those now. I don't want to spend any more money on model planes. I've got enough. I just need to fly what I've got. That's what I'm saying. So, Neil Tank, thank you. Thanks for joining me. And, look, a big thank you for all the work that you've done behind the scenes. I think that um, it, often um, people that, that do you know, work at the MAAA and, and present their local clubs just don't get enough thanks because no matter what level you're at, there's a lot of work involved and you're at the top level and were there, you know, was involved very heavily for a long time. So, a big thank you from me and from a whole bunch of other people that uh, get to enjoy this hobby. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Andrew. I mean, the reason I did it was to keep the hobby going, and I, I, I've got a lot of enjoyment. In it. I'm a great believer in putting putting things back into the hobby. Uh, you know, you, you get something out of it, put something back into it, and that's the way I did it. About to leave, already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. A big thank you to Neil Tank for joining me. It was good to catch up. I haven't spoken to him for a while. Uh, we made it happen. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Um, you know, because Neil was involved in the admin side, we did get touch on. Um, you know what was happening behind the scenes and I, I shared a few opinions he shared a few opinions but that's what we do it's having a discussion and having a chat and sharing opinions um, so hope you enjoyed it if you did don't forget to subscribe and like the podcast tell your friends and get onto the Instagram page and get onto the YouTube uh, channel the Flat Out RC is the brand that you need to look for uh, and uh, subscribe um, and uh, keep up to date with what's going on Hope everybody enjoyed the Festival of Aero Modelling. I'll get some news for the next uh, podcast and how that went, but uh, no doubt you you can't have a bad time in a bit like that. Like you'd be you'd be really struggling to not have a good time. So uh, well done to everybody that helped put that on. Uh, A lot of effort goes on behind the scenes. So I'm going to say well done to everybody. And uh, look, if you live in a state where it's cold, get out there building. If you're not, get out there flying and building. No matter where you are, you can enjoy this wonderful hobby, and I hope you are. So get out there. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Talk to you then.